And so that's my biggest objection to it. And I think that's mostly an objection within the context of who Ryan Holiday is now, who's someone who's established himself as kind of the, the leading authority, at least in the public sphere, on Stoicism. And so if you know that about Ryan, and you go and you read this book, and you might think, well, okay, God, I've just read this book about Stoicism. And I don't, I don't think you actually have, is what I, is what I would argue. I think you've, you've read a book about turning obstacles into advantages. Welcome to Stoic Conversations. In this podcast, Michael Tremblay and I discuss the theory and practice of Stoicism. Each week, we'll share two conversations, one between the two of us, and another will be an in-depth conversation with an expert. And in this conversation, Michael and I discuss Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way, The Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph. This is likely the best-selling modern book on Stoicism, so it demands attention. Michael and I go through what we think is good, bad, and provocative about it. In short, we both think that it is engaging and motivating, yet its Stoic theory is muddled and incomplete in a way that matters for practice. We start by giving some background on the book, move into what we like about it, and then dive into our complaints and corrections. Here is our conversation. Welcome to Stoa Conversations. My name is Caleb Ontiveros. And I'm Michael Trombley. And today we're going to be talking about the book, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. So Ryan Holiday, probably the most popular proponent of Stoicism. And The Obstacle is the Way is his first book on the philosophy. I was trying to think about when I first read it, probably 2016, 2017, sometime around there. I had heard about the Stoics before then. In undergrad, I had a class on ancient philosophy, read a little bit of Epictetus. It didn't really strike me at the time, and then it wasn't later until around 2015 or so where I'd, I had read um, Nassim Taleb's Anti-Fragile, and from there went into Marcus Aurelius Seneca, and the value of the philosophy was much more apparent to me at that time and started really diving into it, and probably about a year later or so, I, I read Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way. Before that, I read, I think he has, a, he has an article online called Stoicism 101 for Entrepreneurs, which, which I did like a lot at the time. That's my short history of the book. This is the second time listening to it, or reading it rather. I read it the first time, and the second time around, I just listened to it while, while running. Some motivation to keep going. This is going to be a book review of sorts. We're each going to mention what we thought was good about the book, what we thought was bad or didn't like as much, and then sections, points that were interesting, provocative, sparked thought. With that, I'll hand it off to you, Michael. Yeah, great. Thanks, Caleb. This is my first time reading it. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like you're supposed to have read some Ryan Holiday if you're into Stoicism, but this is my first time ever reading a book by Ryan Holiday. You know, two weeks ago was the first time I read any of his, any of his books in long form. I've read some of his blogs before. This one's from 2014. So I do really think Ryan Holiday should be credited with this popularization of Stoicism. There is... William Irvine's A Guide to the Good Life and Sharon LaBelle's The Art of Living. And that, those are really the, 
let's say in the kind of the 2000s, the popular works on Stoicism. And then Ryan Holiday came along with the obstacles, the way and really kind of exploded it. So exploded its popularity. So it's a, it's a really important piece of writing and, and it's many people's first introduction to Stoicism. So I was really interested in digging into it. A little bit of background about the book itself for those that haven't read it, a bit of a refresher for those that have read it a while ago. It's broken up into three categories. I, I think this is pretty similar to some of Ryan Holiday's other books as well. He does this in The Ego is the Enemy, another Stoicism-inspired book. And each category corresponds to one of the three parts of Stoic teaching. So Stoicism divides its philosophy into desire, action, ascent. And Ryan Holiday divides the book up into these three parts that each correspond to those. So his wordings are perception, action, and will. And then each of those are broken down into sub-chapters. Each of those kind of contain a lesson. Each sub-chapter has a lesson and then a story, maybe multiple stories that illustrate those points. And it's, it's, it's explicitly Stoicism inspired, but perhaps not, not hard Stoicism. It's not really an, an explanation of the Stoic philosophy so much as it is of an exploration of people or stories that have embodied that philosophy over time. And because of that, I, I want to focus on that part, this, this idea of really using stories, really focusing on anecdote to portray examples. When I get to the, the, the first thing I'm going to start with is an example of the thing that I think the book did really well, a really good part about that. And one thing to explain what this book does well, I want to explain what Epictetus teaches about teaching. Epictetus was one of the big three Roman Stoics, along with Marcus Aurelius and Seneca. He actually ran a school where he would teach young men about Stoicism. And he taught that there's, there's really three educational systems. And these were the three that he used. One was didactic, which is where you're just teaching people things. Another was elenchic, which is this Socratic method of questioning. It's kind of like a sparring match. And people are learning by, by going back and forth with you. You say, well, if you believe A, then that must commit you to B. And they go, well, I don't believe B. Okay, well, then you have to reject your original argument. And it's this kind of debate. And then the third style is protreptic. And the idea with protreptic, protreptic means in Greek to turn towards and it meant to inspire people. So this third type of system is like, I'm not going to really necessarily teach you anything, but I'm going to get you fired up. I'm going to inspire you. And I think about this when Epictetus calls his students slaves or idiots. He's being protreptic. He's, being, he's like a motivational speaker. He's pumping them up to, to be better people. And so the first thing I want to say that Ryan Holiday, I think, does really well, or what I really liked about this book, I think it really succeeds as a protreptic book. I think it's really inspiring. I think it's really motivating to go through and read a, a lot of different stories of people who have taken obstacles, taken challenges, and turned those into situations where they've been successful, examples like that. So it, it, it pumps you up. And if you leave reading that book and you think, wow, I, I want to kind of take a different perspective. I want to not get so down when bad things happen. I want to turn myself, the, I feel now motivated in turning myself into the kind of person that can turn obstacles into opportunities, then I think the book, I think the book really succeeds in, in doing that. And I think that would be a total success. So that's the first thing that I, I really, really like about it. And I think part of probably the reason why Ryan writes using so many anecdotes rather than getting into the nitty gritty of ideas is that unless you're pretty far along your stoic journey, the nitty gritty of ideas, you know, it, it's not that motivating. It doesn't, it's not the, it's not the kick in the kick in the butt that you need to get going. 
but reading some inspiring examples of whether those are, you know, ancient generals or Benjamin Franklin or modern athletes, reading these, these stories of these people who have achieved great things, that is just motivational by proxy. And it's something that, that the book does really, really well. Yeah, I agree with that. That's one of the items that I have on my list for good aspects of the book. There are a panoply of concrete stories of people weathering hardship. And it's always useful to have specific people you can emulate. So he tells a story about Edison's factory or set of his factories catching a flame and Edison's response is, you know, get all the kids out. This is the largest fire they'll probably ever see in their life. Or retell the story of Marcus Aurelius managing the coup of Avidius Cassius with grace, with forgiveness, but strength as well. And having those stories as specific examples of people who weathered hardships is a useful existence proof, especially if you're just experienced an obstacle or if you want to improve your craft profession um, and are currently facing obstacles. Yeah. And so, so to build on that, like, so the entire book is about, the entire book I would say is kind of centered around this core stoic idea that there exists opportunities for improvement in things that seem difficult, whether that improvement is, you know, like a business opportunity or whether that improvement is learning something about yourself, about your ability to withstand hardship, whether that opportunity is just observing a silver lining that we would otherwise forget. So it's a, it's a collection of you know, probably at least 50 different stories of historical figures that have done that. And as you said, that's a, that's a useful kind of repository or repertoire to, to you know, have in your back pocket to pull upon or to think about. And so going back to my three-part division between you know, elenchic, protreptic, and didactic, and forgive these, you know, these obscure words, but basically you know, educational, kind of art, debating, argumentative, and then like inspirational, these stories are both educational and inspirational. So they're not, they're not educational and like, let me sit down and list out the, the arguments piece by piece, but it's educational in that, well, if this person did it, then I can do it. Or I get to observe a master or an expert kind of navigate that, that difficult situation well. And that, that's educational in a way. So I guess I would say it's not just, I, I argued before that it was inspirational. It's not just inspirational, it's educational. And that's great. And one thing we talk a lot about on this channel, on the show, is the contemplation of the sage exercise, which is a practice that the Stoics recommended, which is in a difficult situation or really in any situation when you want to know what to do, you consider what a great person would do in that situation. Somebody either you know or somebody that you've heard about. And in order to contemplate the sage, you need a lot of different sages and you need a lot of different situations that sages have been in. And just as a collection of those kind of stories, maybe these people aren't sages, but they're, but they're for the most part, great, excellent people navigating extra, extraordinary situations really well. And I think that's a, that's a huge plus to have. And that's, that's nothing but positive to have. Right, right. Yep, absolutely. Cool. What else do you have on the good side? I mean, the other thing I guess would be in response to criticism. Sometimes people criticize Ryan Holiday. And I'm going to criticize Ryan Holiday a couple of minutes from now. <laughs> about getting things wrong, about not understanding stoicism. 
about simplifying stoicism. And I think he does that. I, I do think he doesn't understand some things, at least, you know, this is 2014. You know, if you, if you look at the things that I wrote in 2014, I didn't understand a lot of things. And I, I know a lot better now, at least back then he, he didn't, you know, there was there, he was certainly at the beginning of his, of his learning journey, or maybe at the middle of that journey, not at the end of it, certainly, but and then there's these other people that I think kind of turn up their nose, which I would say is actually just this kind of elitism of like, oh, unless it is the most hard, difficult, obscure form of engaging with this topic, there's no point in engaging with it. You know, there's no value to something that's well-written, easily written, enjoyable. And I think the other thing I'm pushing back against is, that, is that's wrong. We need in, in any hobby, in any interest, in any passion, you need popularizers. You need people who are able to take difficult topics and turn them into turn it into writing that is compelling and interesting to people. And I think Ryan Holiday is a really good popularizer. I think this book is good popularization. And that has a consequentialist benefit of getting more people into stoicism, more people interested in, in then going down that that journey to learn more about it. But even if people don't learn more about it, I guess I just want to clarify that, you know, not everybody's going to be a 10 out of 10 super interested in something. If, if somebody hasn't read a philosophy book in years and picks up this book, I think this book is going to net positive for them. I think they're going to learn a couple interesting tidbits of stories and, and gain a couple perspectives that they're going to want to apply um, about these basic stoic arguments about, you know, I, it's better for me if I, if I manage my emotions well. I should consider what's up to me in these kinds of situations. I should understand that there's always something some way for me to turn the situation to my benefit. I should be able to follow a process I've set out for myself and not be discouraged if things don't go my way. I should not attach myself to certain outcomes and then be too disappointed if those out outcomes don't come about. That might, it might teeter on the edge of between a kind of general self-help versus stoicism, but general self-help is still helpful. It's still, these are still good, helpful points. And I think for the most part, if it gets people into stoicism, which it obviously has, then, I, then I'm super, super happy about it. I think that's, that's, a, it's a, it's a, that's a major net positive, any book that's able to do that. Right, right. Yeah, in my view, it's written for progressors who are interested in stoicism as a tool or at the level of an operating system. So in our discussion on the Silicon Valley stoicism, we distinguish between three different levels of using the philosophy. One, you have the tool belt, life hack approach, which just takes specific tactics, precepts, whatever, from the philosophy and you know applies that to, you, know, you can just t grab those off the shelf, apply them to your life, move on to, to the next thing. Maybe you do this to hundreds of other philosophies. The other approach is a step above from that, where you take this philosophy on as a proper operating system, in a way. You think, I'm a Stoic, and it's given me the tools to navigate handling hardship, to manage my negative emotions. And you've ingrained the worldview more deeply than you would have if it was just a set of life hacks. And then the next level up, is now you've taken it on as a life 
philosophy. Not only does Stoicism have all these practical aspects to it, but it provides a direction to your life and an account of what it is to live the good life. And for the most part, I would say this book is hovering around the first and second <laughs> levels. So it's not merely a book of life hacks, so it does have that, but it's principally, I think, a extended example of people who take on a stoic attitude in a limited way for handling obstacles. So you have these three sections that you mentioned earlier in the book. There are these three sections that you mentioned earlier, the perception, action, will, and these, the themes of this operating system are on the perception side, when obstacles arise, either they aren't truly obstacles at all, you can see them as they are, or you can summon the ability to see what's good in it. You can alter your perspective. On the action side, there's always a play. You have chapter titles like follow the process, do your job, do it right. And then last on the will side, you know, you have the power within yourself to overcome obstacles is one reading of what he's saying in the side of the will. You have the power to persevere. And these all these three approaches to obstacles come together in a view of style of approaching hardship, of approaching adversity. One thing you can expect from this book, I think, is a better sense of what a practicing Stoics operating system is for many kinds of hardship. But, and I think as we'll talk about a little bit later, there's a question of, is it, does it give you enough to come with the life philosophy. Yeah, totally. So to, just to add to that, to frame those three ch sections differently, you know, I like the way you framed it. He's basically saying, you know, when an obstacle, when you encounter an obstacle, when you encounter something that's kind of stressful, difficult, hard for whatever reason, you can think about it differently. That's perception. You can do something differently. That's action. Or you can want something different. That will. And so there's this kind of this kind of three-step process that I is very I wouldn't I'm, I'm about to argue for this in a in a bit, but I, I wouldn't say it's it is what a Stoic would do, but a Stoic might do it for different reasons than than I don't think Ryan gets into it. Well, he doesn't get into in this book, which I think is the difference between that that maybe first or second or third level as you talked about. Anything else you wanted to say about the the parts you really liked about the book? Yeah, the last aspect is it's always focused on action over trivial debates. That's one can go too far in that direction, but there is something to that approach. And there's a, I think, a reason why so many people in a different fields, whether it's athletics, art, or business, have found this an inspiring and motivational work, and it's because of that focus on action, that real practical aspect to the work that comes out, I think, is a kind of energy that you know, one gets the sense that Ryan Holiday takes his craft really seriously. He works exceptionally hard, and that comes out, I think, in, in the book. He works hard, he works fast. 
and cares about being a good writer along multiple multiple dimensions. So this focus on action, focus on craft comes out of the work. Yeah, it's like Nike. Just just do it. You know, it's the <laughs> that that focus that focus absolutely. And I think you hit on something nice there too about how there in in the act of in the act of I, I always think about this with with authors is they they often write these books about self transformation or self discovery or self, but there's this sense that the the self transformation discovery or challenge they're encountering is writing that book. You know, so you have this person, right, Holiday, engaged in this difficult process of of writing books, becoming, you know, honing this craft, and then in that process, he's he's writing about that craft, right? In the same way, the next book, Ego is the Enemy, is about his ego, as we're like that kind of second album, you know, where the band writes in response to success. And the band's second album is about is about achieving success, and the first album, the second book, is about well, now I have a popular book and. Now I have to work on my ego. It becomes the new part of the process. There is there is something autobiographical in that that I think is interesting and and, and, and inspiring too. Yeah, with Ho- with Holiday's career in particular, you have this focus on doing a really. I think he. I don't exactly remember when he wrote this. He's probably around twenty five or so, so he's not that old. Uh, he's pro- he's working long hours, moving quickly, hasn't really hit his break yet. And then later on, as you say, you have ego is the enemy after more success. Stillness is key. I haven't read either <laughs> of those books, but you know, maybe he's too busy. And now his most recent series is, of course, on the virtues. So he's bringing, bringing back a sense of direction after the early man's game of facing obstacles and pulling all-nighters and so on. Yeah, cool. All right, that's the good. What do we have on the bad? Yeah, so I'll start it off. I'll jump, jump into this, get all pumped up. I, I think I think you already hit on it though. Like, so my first criticism of this book, as somebody who you know is quite far along in their Stoic journey, I'm not a Stoic beginner coming from my perspective, which is a unique perspective. It's not the same thing as if you know someone in my family or a friend of mine was reading it who hasn't read anything about Stoicism. I think Ryan here is at his most shallow. I think he's much more shallow in his discussion of Stoicism than he is in his blog, which I've I've read a bit of and the daily stoic and in in that work i think he gets into the nitty gritty of some of it in, in in this it's it's at a very very high level the the litmus test i use you know is something like could this advice apply to a serial killer or a bank robber and if it could then you're at that level of being a toolkit right you know a serial i could use a hammer to build my house and a serial killer could use a hammer to kill somebody that's a tool Right, it has no innate morality to it. The hammer is just a tool, and so I look at these. I, I listed some chapter titles, right, and and the lessons there are not any different than the chapter titles. Trust the process, persist, take action, look for opportunity and defeat. Know that you can always try. Accept obstacles. Really motivating stuff, but all of this could apply to a bank robber who's getting discouraged before the big heist, right? It is just. It is this. It is. It are, it is, these are protreptic motivational pieces of advice for somebody who's getting discouraged by difficult things. It doesn't connect to any of, I, I would say, the core moral values of Stoicism. For me, the core moral value of Stoicism is that virtue is the only good. And I would even consider somebody a Stoic if they were to say virtue is the greatest good 
and significantly more important than other things. But yeah, I still like having, you know, I still like having some other things and they're kind of good too. But there, there's no discussion in this book of character being the only thing that matters. Like, look, it doesn't matter if this happens to you. It doesn't matter if your house burns down because you still have your character. It doesn't matter if somebody makes fun of you because you still have your character. It doesn't matter if you lose a bunch of money as long as you navigate that situation with good character, with courage, honesty, kindness. There's no discussion of things like that. The, instead, the chapters are you know, examples of, well, this person you know, lost, lost their money and then ended up getting more money later or something like this. And, and that's an inspirational story to, to not be, to not make, and I think the Stoic would agree that when you encounter a difficult situation, you don't want to add false judgments. You don't want to think, well, my life is over, things are ruined, there's nothing I can do now. And so a Stoic would agree with that half of it, but there's none of this connection to that, that core moral teaching about the importance of character above externals, as the Stoics would call it. And so for me, it just keeps that thing, for me, that puts it at the toolkit level. And in that sense, I can't call it a Stoic book. I think this is a Stoicism-inspired book. I think this is a book that has, was insp inspired by Stoicism and teaches people about some of the good things Stoicism has to offer. But I don't think it really teaches people about Stoicism proper. And, you know, I'd be interested if anybody's listening to this has gone through that journey of starting with Holiday and moved on. If you then find stoicism to be this big shift because it's, it's, it's arguing these different things, or maybe it looks like different than you might have thought it was coming out of this book. And so that's my biggest objection to it. And I think that's most, more, mostly an objection within the context of who Ryan Holiday is now, who's someone who's established himself as kind of the, the leading authority, at least in the public sphere on stoicism. And so if you know that about Ryan, and you go and you read this book and you might think, well, okay, God, I've just read this book about stoicism. And I don't, I don't think you actually have is what I, is what I would argue. I think you've, you've read a book about turning obstacles into advantages of which of course the Stoics have some good things to say about it. That's, that's number one. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. So there's the argument. There's sort of two levels of argument. There's one, can this advice apply to a serial killer or bank robber? Is it, morally neutral. But there's also the point that supposing it's not morally neutral, is it does it have a moral stance that's properly stoic? And so and I think that your case is that, well, since being a serial killer or a hmm. bank robber is not morally stoic, it's neither of those. But I would suggest that it's the the second argument's probably better than the first. You know, not only does he cite different lines from Marcus Aurelius, of course, you have the three lines, which is a definition of Stoicism in some sense, right objective judgment at this very moment, unselfish action at this very moment, willing acceptance of all external events. That's all you need at that line, as well as praise for a number of virtues whether it's being unselfish or forgiving, courageous throughout the book. So I would say that there's no sense in which this book would support being a serial killer. It's, if anything, its morality is somewhat conventional. One could argue that the book would defend, say, a kind of morality that's at the edge 
of conventional morality, say being a business magnet, being exceptionally ruthless in your business dealings, breaking rules in order to accomplish whatever entrepreneurial goals you might have. And if someone who had those dispositions came to this book, they would probably leave with those dispositions intact, which is certainly not the Stoic view and not the Stoic result, if you will. So in that sense, I think the argument that I find more plausible is that he, Ryan just doesn't explicitly state the Stoic view about the importance of virtue. You have all these heuristics for managing obstacles and hardship, but he's too liberal and he's too open as to why someone would want to do that at all or what really grounds the ability to manage hardship in a way he stays at a conventional, almost common sense level in, in explaining these things. I would say that's, that's a, yeah, that's a really clear way of putting it. I mean, I, I wasn't certainly not trying to imply that Ryan Holiday's, that the obstacles, the way is like endorsing serial murder or anything like that. But I, I think you pointed out that it probably could, if not endorse, you know, somebody who's kind of a ruthless business person could leave and be like, yeah, that's a great book. That kind of pumped me up to go do some more ruthless business in a way that like involves lying and cheating to kind of build my business. And we don't want that. Or I think the Stoics wouldn't want that. Well, it depends on the and, rules, but yeah. Yeah, in general, depends, I on, think, uh, depends on which ones. And I, th I, think, I think you said it best, though, in terms of there's a kind of common sense morality here, but Stoicism is very not common sense morality. And, and in that sense, if you're leaving a book feeling like this is very common sense instead of, wow, most people, when they read an actual Stoic, say, wow, I've always felt this way and I've always felt weird for feeling this way or I've always felt like, Nobody's really put this into words until now, and this is amazing. Or someone says, that's really stupid. Stoics are terrible people who don't care about others. And you know maybe that's uncharitable or whatever, but it evokes a strong reaction because Stoicism is paradoxical. It's counterintuitive. It's not common sense. It wasn't common sense in ancient Greece, and it's not common sense today. And so if you leave this book feeling unchallenged ethically, then you're probably not reading about Stoicism. I think it's kind of a, is, is my thought. Yeah, I would say, I'd say that's a, I'm sympathetic to that. <laughs> it, I should say this book gives you the ingredients to think about stoicism and whether or not you take, take them is going to depend on the reader to, to a large degree. Yeah. In part, just because it doesn't take that strong stand on what's the telos of human life. What is the purpose to yeah. live at all, let alone to endure hardships? Totally. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's that's related to my complaint. Well, I don't know if this is my key criticism, but it doesn't ha have a systematic philosophy. And in some ways, I think it's organization mirrors that fact it reads at times like a series of blog posts that's good because you can jump in and out of these chapters and it does have a coherent 
style or message, but not a clear logical progression or a deeper theoretical basis. And although it's true that Stoic philosophy is largely practice, it is theory as well. And you need that theory to justify practice or guide practice at times. So that's one complaint I have about this book. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I totally agree. And I, I don't think that's intentional. I think the underlying structure just isn't there. I don't think this is somebody who understands the underlying structure of Stoicism, at least not 2014 Ryan Holiday, which is you know not, not the person he is today. It doesn't strike me as someone who understands the underlying structure of Stoicism and then is choosing to simplify. It strikes me as somebody who, who is misunderstanding the theoretical background or doesn't understand the theoretical background. And so there isn't, there isn't a system in place because there's not, he doesn't have a system. The system that's provided is, is the three, the three part division between perception, action, and will, but that's not a system so much as it is kind of a coloring of the conversation about, I guess, the different ways that you could approach an obstacle through how you think about it, what you do, and how you feel about it. Practice Stoicism with Stoa. Stoa combines the ancient philosophy of Stoicism with meditation in a practical meditation app. It includes hundreds of hours of exercises, lessons, and conversations to help you live a happier life. Find it available for a free download in the Play Store and App Store. Do you want to jump into that some more? Yeah, so I mean, this, is, this comes up to my theoretical, and I, you know, I don't want to sit here you know, and nitpick a book written 10 years ago, but at the same time, interesting for people that maybe have read this book to get a different perspective on it. I think Ryan Holiday makes some theoretical mistakes that are important because of practice. It's not like, oh, you made a mistake and I caught you. And, but it's, if you don't understand this, it impacts the way that you think about your practice. It, think, it impacts the way that you think about being a Stoic. And there's two ones that I think he makes. The first is this discussion of will. So the third section of the obstacle of the Obstacles the way is about the will, but there's no notion of will in Stoicism at all. That just doesn't exist in Stoicism. So here's a quote here from Ryan Holiday. And he says, what is will? Will is our internal power, which can never be affected by the outside world. It is our final trump card. If action is what we do and we have some agency over our situation, the will is what we depend on when agency has all but disappeared. And I'm not sure what he's talking about here. I just don't know what he means by the will. Another quote, he has, if perception and action were the disciplines of the mind and the body, then will is the discipline of the heart and the soul. The will is the one thing we control completely always. And I get very confused when I hear that kind of language about what he means by the heart and the soul. Those are not metaphors that the Stoics would have used. Again, when you talked about earlier common sense morality, it almost seems like common sense folk psychology, like the will is where your heart is. And that, I don't, again, it just, it doesn't, it, it, it comes off as nonsensical to me. So he seems to be talking about the power of reason. So the, the will in Stoicism would correspond to, in that three-part division, to Epictetus's idea of de desire, which is to say what we want or don't want. And you know, if someone has control over us, they shut us in a cage. We can navigate that situation successfully by not desiring our freedom 
or, or our physical freedom, I should say. And Epictetus has all these wonderful lines where they'll say, you know, I'm going to throw you in a cage. He's like, you throw my body in a cage, but you, you won't do anything to my mind. You know, and that's an example of Epictetus only desiring to be an excellent person, not desiring to, or teaching his students only desire that, not to desire these kind of external physical things. But Ryan Holiday seems here to get Will confused with the idea of reason and assent because he says it's the only thing we control completely always. And the Stoics talk about reasoning being up to us, but it's getting kind of confused and muddled. And I think it's confused and muddled because I think it is confused and muddled. I don't think he, he's thought very deeply about what he means by the will at all. And so I just find that kind of thing, the kind of thing that might be inspiring on a first reading but it's actually really unhelpful when you try to practice deeper. So I, I mentioned before that I think popularization is good. The caveat to that is that popularization is not good if you set people up not to be successful when they go deeper. And one of the ways you set people up not to not be successful is you inculcate or you teach ideas that are, are different from Stoicism, such that there, there becomes this kind of clash or people end up into things with misconceptions. And I think that's one of those things that's going on here with the discussion of the will. But any, any thoughts that you have on, on Holiday's talk of will? The way will is defined is confusing. I think it's somewhat mysterious. ultimately. It's related to this conventional sense in which some might talk about a soul, who you ultimately are. Perhaps you can even use the word spirit. Um, and in the sense, Ryan's not exactly stoic. You know, there's the line that people often attribute to Viktor Frankl, which is between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our freedom. And I think what Holiday is saying is the will is what occupies that space. And it's always there. You know, it's there even when agency has almost disappeared is totally. one of his lines. And I don't think he's exactly going to fill out what that is. Maybe you have some sense that there is something there and it there is a reference to that term or not. All Holiday, I think, is wants his reader to agree with is that there is something there, whatever it is, whether it, you know, has whether it's a unified being, whether it has parts, those are more theoretical issues, trivial issues that he's not going to deal with. Yeah, I'm getting uh, I'm getting stressed, Caleb, just, just you talking about it. It's stressing me out. Because the thing in between, you know, impression and assent or the thing in between situation and action, that is our perception. That is our faculty to reflect on things and our ability, like the, what the Stoics would call assent or reasoning. And what he has put here is perception. And he's just muddling those concepts. He's muddling those concepts because he's coming into the book with a common sense understanding of soul, a common sense understanding of free will, and or I, essential self that the Stoics just don't have. And it just, yeah, he's just, he's just confused. He's just confused. And I would have been confused if I was writing in 2014. But I, I think it's just frustrating because it will probably confuse other people, even if it seems intuitive. Yeah, I think this is probably his, the weakest part of the book philosophically. The chapter headings are on, you know, building your own inner citadel, the 
art of acquiescence, perseverance, mortality. And they're less connected, less conceptually connected than the organization of the previous two sections. And I think that is just because this notion of the will is vague. And you could mount a defense of it being vague, perhaps, but I, you know, I, I'm not going to do that here. <laughs> you could, but I will not. No, fair enough. And I, I guess what's frustrating me about the vagueness is it's not like it's vague, like nobody's ever solved this. It's vague, and the Stoics have something to say about it. Like, and there's an ant, like they've, they've said things about, they say many things about this. They've, they've like, they're very clear about, if you read Epictetus once, he's very clear about this, about what the self is, what our essential self is. So that's the kind of thing that's frustrating to me is not that it's like, I understand why some, why, you know, if, if you haven't studied Stoicism yet, if you haven't studied philosophy yet, yeah, you know, you're in a first year Stoicism or first year philosophy class, or you're getting into reading philosophy on your own for the first time. And this question of like, what is the will? That's a really interesting question. That's a great question to ask. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's off the table. It's just that the Stoics have an answer to that question and I agree with it or disagree with it. They have an answer to that question. And the fact that Ryan's not bringing that up at all is just, it's, just, it's, it's frustrating to me because as you said, the other two sections I think are stronger and I think it, it's actively harmful in terms of perhaps confusing people. But I'm, I'm happy to jump on my next one or I'm not sure if, if, you have a, if you have one you want to go into. No, I that was in fact one of my bullets. It's just that the use of will obscures more than it illuminates. So yeah, let's do one more each. You can take do your do your next one. Cool. Or let's, yeah, yours yeah, was let's better. Your, one each. Yours was better written than mine. That was, I think, well well framed. Obscures more than it illuminates. So my my other one is that Ryan Holiday. So people get into stoicism often because they care about their emotions, right? They want to feel a certain way, or they want help controlling their emotions, or they aspire to be stoic when they take themselves to be quite not stoic in an emotional sense. And when you read this book, Holiday either doesn't understand or believe the cognitive theory of emotions. So the cognitive theory of emotions is one of the main stoic points. I would say if the stoics had a key psychological or descriptive insight, their key descriptive insight is that our emotions are the results of our judgments, our value judgments in particular. And they're key moral insight, I would say, is that virtue is the only good, or at least, uh, I mean, they would say the high, they would say the only good. And there's no discussion of emotions being the results of our, of our judgments, essentially. There's this idea that we can perhaps control our emotions. There's this idea that we can control our perceptions, but I, I don't see this, I don't see this idea in this book which is the key insight that our Stoics, uh, that our, the Stoics have, that our emotions are the results of our judgments only. I have a quote here. It says, it's much easier to control our perceptions and emotions than it is to give up our desire to control other people and events. It's easier, easier to think and act than it is to practice wisdom. And again, it's like, I feel like all the Stoic ideas have been thrown in a blender and smushed around a bit. What do you mean it's easier to control our emotions than it is to give up our desire to control other people and events? Our emotions come from our desires, which come from our judgments. We, we feel frustrated because the thing we, we can't get the thing we want. We feel sad because we've been, the thing we didn't want to happen happens. So again, when you said common sense morality, something clicked in for me. It is, it is common sense talking of emotions going on here. But, but 
again, when you do that, not only do I think you confuse or obscure some of the important parts about Stoicism, but you miss some of the important parts about Stoicism. And I think that's a shame because I, I think that idea of emotions is, is totally on brand for a book about navigating obstacles. Yeah. Well, I think he's probably just not entirely clear about this. I think someone can certainly come away with the main kernel of the cognitive theory of emotions, which is that our judgments shape our experience of the world, how it feels to exist, what we want. And at times he will give stories that show this or will mention, give a quote, say that from Viktor Frankl or something of this sort that suggests we are radically free and we're radically free in virtue of our ability to decide what happens and we're not limited by externals or even by parts of the internal world. And the language, it's not going to be entirely precise. It's not going to be a cognitive model of emotions in the way that Epictetus may have portrayed it or in the way that contemporary philosophers would put it. And it's going to result in people perhaps losing track of what they do or do not have control over, perhaps muddling through ideas of emotions, desires, and so on. But there's a, you know, he could have done this better, but I, I wouldn't be too too hard on him on this on this point. That's certainly not as bad as the discussion on the will. Yes, very charitable. That's fair. I mean, speaking of the the previous point, I think we're on the same page here about I, I don't think he goes against it. I guess just to clarify, I don't think he goes against it. I don't think he argues the opposite. And unlike the will, I don't think he introduces a concept that doesn't need to be there that just makes things more confusing than it should be if it wasn't there. But you, he's missing a really good shot. I guess this is like a missed opportunity more than something that is being introduced that's actively confusing like the will. Maybe I'll, I'll back down right. to that. Got it, got it. Yeah, that I see that. I, I'm not sure if I push back on on that so much, but his whole approach is just more in terms of there's this term ostention, just showing particular examples rather than so much giving the theory for why so-and-so is the case. Uh, instead, he'll give a story, provide some motivational quotes, lines, and he might argue that's more useful than giving someone a workable theory of emotion. Maybe that's not what people need to verbalize. That might be a, a different way of framing what he's up to that provides some amount of, of defense. Yeah, anyway, that's fair. we're actually, yeah, we're, we're starting to run a little bit low on time. So I'll note one other criticism a quick criticism. There's very little religious or spiritual sense to the project. He has a line that denigrates religion, which I have to read out, which is a few years ago in the middle of the financial crisis, the artist and musician Henry Rollins managed to express this deeply human obligation better than millennia of religious doctrine ever have, where the deeply human obligation refers to a sense of altruism. And then 
finishes to give a rather pedestrian statement from Henry Rollins, which, which is crazy. <laughs> it's the same thing to say. He does gesture at ideas of fate, but I think at least one should as part of expressing what the Stoics are up to, since it's obviously present, especially in Marcus Aurelius. There's, there's these ideas about nature, ideas about deeper purpose that at least deserve gesturing at, which to my extent may continue to be a, a blind spot in the way he is portraying Stoicism. But I haven't re read Stillness is Key. Perhaps he gets into these kinds of ideas more in that book. Cool. Want to shout out anything that is interesting and then call it? Yeah. Uh, sorry, my page with my notes has frozen now, so I'm trying to, I'm unable to access my notes. Well, you have the three Stoic disciplines are, that's one header, The Obstacles Away, Strikes Me as the Ultimate Toolkit book. Okay, here we go. Back in, back they're in. They're just more criticisms. <laughs> they're, mostly, they're mostly just more criticisms, yes. So... I mean, so, so, so the, I mean, this was, this, this is something that I thought was interesting because, you know, you can't, so Ryan Holiday has become probably the most successful contemporary teacher of Stoicism, at least in terms of number of people. And you can, you know, I, I think he generally does a pretty good job here, as you said, of representing well, a kind of a level one or a level two, either a toolkit or an operating system level of Stoicism, kind of fluctuating between those two. But one thing that he's really good at, he's really good at getting people engaged in these ideas, finding these ideas interesting. And one thing I think is interesting is that the Stoics talk about the three disciplines as being desire, action, and ascent. And Epictetus is really explicit that those need to be practiced in that order. So first you need to work on what you desire, making sure you only desire what is good. Then you need to act correctly about navigating externals and indifference and then you need to get your ascent right and if you start with ascent you get all mixed up if you start with action you get all mixed up you got to go you got to follow this order and you got to master one before you can master the other you can you can do all three but you have to master one before you master the other it's interesting for me that ryan holiday actually flips these three so he, his book starts with perception his book starts with this discussion of of ascent how you how you view things how you look at situations then action is in the middle and then will what you desire what you're what you what you aim towards is the last thing so he switches the order and i i think stoicism is stoicism but i don't think the ancient stoics necessarily need to be right about the best way to teach stoicism and the the non-critical way to look at that would be well why has that been switched is there something to learn there is there something interesting about focusing on perception first and I think, I think maybe one of the, I mean, happy for you to jump in on this, Caleb. Maybe one of the reasons you start with perception is that's the easiest way to get people in. Desire, in a way, is the hardest thing to change. What people want, what they think is good, is the hardest thing to change. But perception, you know, pointing out to people, look, you know, if you viewed the situation a little differently, you're going to feel different. That is maybe the, the, the easiest introduction. I guess I'm, I'm interested in his playing around with the order of these disciplines, which are ones that, you know, we take seriously here using in the Stoa app to, to help teach people as well. Right, right. So Pierre Hadot, the French philosopher who was one of the key figures of reviving Stoicism as a philosophy of life, 
he orders the discipline by assent, desire, and action in his book on Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> so now there's uh, now we have three. Now we got three options here. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a. There's a whole there's a whole nother can of worms, I suppose, here about how you how you organize that. But I, I followed in the past in several of our courses Hado's ordering because there's that initial focus on apprehending reality accurately, pursuing knowledge, and then moving to will, desire aligning your desires with nature. And then finally, there's action, acting in the world, managing indifference. So I think that's, a, that's how I've thought about it before, being less sort of influenced by Epictetus's original formulation. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. I, I mean, I think Epictetus's concern is that if you start with perception, it's this kind of a level one, level two concern is that if you start with perception, tricks about changing our perception, the dichotomy of control, you can almost frame as a perception tool. The view from above, the contemplation of the sage, a lot of these things you can do is, well, just kind of look at things, obstacles the way, kind of look at things differently. That can be co-opted to many, to common sense morality. It can also be co-opted by, you know, anti-ethical systems. So I think that's kind of, that's Epictetus's concern, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily, I think that's what Epictetus thought, but I don't necessarily think it's the right way to do it. And I think the fact that Hadot portrays it differently than Holiday, it's kind of funny. There's kind of many, many different ways to, to attack it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The one aspect that I thought was interesting is that the title of the book, one of Marcus Aurelius's lines, of course, from meditations and i think we can end just by me reading that line out it's meditations 5 20 because there's a there is a whole section there and i think it's provocative but and totally underrated i think what marcus the context in which marcus aurelius is saying this he says in a sense people are our proper occupation our job is to do them good and put up with them. But when they obstruct our proper tasks, they become irrelevant to us, like sunned wind animals. Our actions may be impeded by them, but there can be no impending our intentions or our dispositions. Because we can accommodate and adapt, the mind adapts and converts to its own purposes the obstacle to our acting. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. And perhaps we'll just leave you with that. That's another good conversation. Thanks for chatting, Michael. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Gil. Thanks for listening to Stoic Conversations. If you found this conversation useful, please give us a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use, and share it with a friend. We are just starting this podcast, so every bit of help goes a long way. And I'd like to thank Michael Levy for graciously letting us use his music. Do check out his work at ancientliar.com. And please get in touch with us at stoa at stoameditation.com if you ever have any feedback or questions. Until next time.